Welcome, everyone, to this episode of WP Radio. This is a podcast brought to you by the Ontario Insurance Adjusters Association. If you're part of the insurance industry and want to hear in-depth stories and industry experts, along with discussions and interviews, then this is the podcast for you. I host a monthly podcast where I feature guests on the show, get to know them better, and also find out the latest news from around the industry. I'm Terry Doherty, your host. Now let's get this show started. All right. Uh, good morning and uh, welcome to WP Radio. Uh, Gary, thank you very much for coming on today. Thanks, Terry, for having me. Excellent. So for those who don't know you, Gary, um, you're with Davis Martindale? Yes, I'm a, an accountant at Davis Martindale. Yes. Okay. And how long have you been there? I've been with Davis Martindale for about nine years, um, but I've been a... Um, a forensic accounting accountant in the insurance industry and litigation world for over 25 years. Wow. Okay. Um, why don't you give me some of your credentials? I, I, I see a list of them here, but let's kind of go through them. you got a lot of initials behind your name. I have a few over the years. Um, I'm a CMA CPA, and then I have additional um, credentials in forensic accounting, a certification in financial forensics, and I'm a certified fraud examiner. Excellent. Okay. And uh, where do you um, where do you guys do your most of your stuff? Uh, are you Ontario based, or are you province? You know, are you outside the province? Uh, we are our uh, our main office is located in in London, Ontario, and uh, we also have a a great landing pad office that we work in in Toronto. Um, and because a lot of our work comes from the GTA, we also have a, a nice condo accommodation downtown Toronto as well uh, to stay in while we're working in Toronto. Okay, so you kind of you have that satellite office that you can use in the GTA. Yes, uh, the the industry has been uh, quite interesting over the years because as the insurers have, have chosen to centralize. Initially, they they preferred that um, some of the vendors, such as accountants, had multiple offices around the province. Um, but uh, our approach uh, has been to to grow everybody mainly in one office because um, we're able to spin on a dime and work on on all the emergency files that come in and share the experience and and. Uh, I think that there's a, a trend over time where we're finding the insurance companies that are understanding that the same benefits of centralizing that they have um, can also be accomplished by by the centralizing of, of their vendors as well. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. Um, so let me just kind of take me through what does um, Davis Martindale do? What's your focus? So uh, we have uh, uh, many areas of expert expertise um, that, that we work on. So we do we do uh, first party in- insurance losses for auto accidents. So SABS claims um, we probably open about fifty um, income replacement benefit files a month. Um, we also do personal injury economic loss claims if you're not at fault in the accident. Uh, both insurers and plaintiff counsel engage us to assist in, in quantifying the economic loss claim for individuals who are not at fault in the accident. We also do commercial work, uh, business interruption, stock loss, theft claims. Uh, 
we specialize in dealing with farm claims, uh, do quite a bit of uh, large manufacturing and food processing claims. And then uh, we also do do fraud and um, you know, a, examinations where where there's been been uh, some wrongdoing by a party and and uh, there's uh, insurance for that. Oh, okay, great. Um, so I'm assuming it's not just yourself then. Uh, there's a whole team of you. Yes, we have a, a team of 17 people at, at Davis Martindale and. Uh, um we we keep growing every year um as as we add new new clients um we we add new people excellent and you said you work for both the plaintiff side and the defense side so you you work both sides of the fence that's which is i think it's pretty good because that way either they can't say you're a hired gun yes um the being independent is is certainly a big topic these days for experts that that work in the insurance and litigation field I, I know recently there were articles about about doctors and and it's actually very challenging for experts to to um, be able to um, operate in a way to be able to obtain work from from both the insurance companies and 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 the plaintiff firms and one of one of the biggest issues i think is just having the confidence to to have your client respect that you're going to provide an independent opinion whether it's the answer they want to hear or not um, it's much better to provide them with the right answer than the answer they want to hear and start leading down down the path of a litigation uh, um, and just incur a bunch of costs that ultimately don't make sense because you told them what they want to hear as opposed to what they need to hear. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and then you're too late to deal with it. Yes. Yeah. Um, things take longer to resolve and... and uh, um, frustrating stories come out of it. So, so um, now the fact that you're based in in mostly London, but you do service the the entire province. Then, so you've got a lot of people on the road. Um, we service the entire province. Um, we also have claims out, outside of the province as well. Um, as in a lot of cases, the accountant is the last one in um, to to be involved in in a claim. Because first, you know, on the commercial side, you're dealing with with the people that have to to um, you know understand the fire or the flood that occurred and and start to repair the damage while documents are recovered and finally available to to be provided to the accountant to help quantify the loss and and uh, generally. Uh, our clients phone, fax, scan, email documents to us, and and that's consistent with with most accountants. Um, on some commercial losses, though, it is important for us to to uh, have a visit on site, and on large losses, uh, to to go visit on site uh, doesn't really add a lot of expense relative to to the amount of time that you're going to spend reviewing the documents and actually preparing a, an expert report. Okay, and now when you talk about expert reports, you're you're talking about that the BI loss, like the business interruption loss. So you will prepare and quantify those reports for for both the plaintiff or the defense side, depending on which side you're working for at the time. Yes. So so um, on the commercial side, a lot of our files uh, come come through through the brokers, and we prepare 
the broker has a client who's concerned that that they haven't been uh, paid appropriately on the, on a business interruption loss and quite often we find we find when we look at the documents and understand the loss um they they haven't been and and we're able to assist to resolve the claim because they just simply won't sign off on the proof of loss because they disagree with what, with what the insurer's accountant assigned um on the uh, but quite often we're working for the for the insurance company and and um and in both cases, we're preparing the the same report, uh, an expert report quantifying the losses. So you don't it, it, to you, it really doesn't matter which side you're really on because you're just doing um, paper reviews for the most part. Yes, yes, that's correct. So it wouldn't uh, matter if it was a defense report or a plaintiff report. At the end of the day, it's just it's a report. Yes, yes, and it, and it's it, costs. It, costs are very important to um, all the parties involved in in a in a, a loss, whether it's a commercial loss or a, a litigation or personal injury litigation, and and it's really important to think about what needs to be done, and and how it can be done efficiently for the for the parties involved to not only save costs but but reach a reasonable um, settlement amount. So, so we're very careful about when we when we um, have on-site meetings. Are they necessary, and for what reason? And keep our clients apprised of what we're doing. Um, but but costs are very important to to all of them. So so uh, um, quite often paper reviews. Uh, um, versus on-site visits are are just as productive. Excellent. Um, um, let's talk about independence. I know that's a that's a really big or key thing for you guys, um, the, dealing with independence. So, can you can you take me through what independence really is and how you can best describe it to me? Well, um, a lot of the work we do comes from from legal counsel. For example, uh, if we're dealing with a personal injury claim, plaintiff plaintiff counsel could could engage us to prepare an expert loss report uh, quantifying someone's income loss and and uh, typically the insurance company will hire a defense accountant or the insurer's lawyer to 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 review the plaintiff report and critique and perhaps provide their 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 own analysis of, of the loss and and one of the issues that exists is that quite often I see where where one one side has quantified the loss to be a, a million dollars, for example, and and another side has quantified the loss to be zero, and and it's a big challenge to to um, you know understand how two independent experts who are are supposed to be working for the court and not necessarily in uh, as an advocate for their client, whether it be the plaintiff or the insurance company. Um, it, it's quite remarkable that they could be so far off. And my experience in the industry is that that uh, it, it's important to find ways that, that we can get those numbers to be closer together um, from the beginning, and and I think what that requires is the experts to be independent, truly. So not worried about the the end game. Um, my client wants it to be a big number or a small number, but but focused on on the facts of the actual case, um, what really matters, and and what a reasonable loss amount should be. So. Um, 
So do you deal more in courts or mediation or arbitration or fisco or or do you do a com- or does the company do a combination of everything? All of the above. All of so, the above. <laughs> yeah. So so income replacement benefits. We've dealt with fisco. Now there's there's the uh, the the new process um, with business interruption. If if there's a dispute, it might go to appraisal, and we've dealt with that. Sometimes it goes to commercial litigation as opposed to the appraisal process, and and. We've dealt with that on the personal injury side. We've been experts in court on both the plaintiff and the defense side, and we've even had the court recommend um, to to um, um, individuals who have gone to pretrials without an accounting report that that perhaps they should call an accountant and even throw our name out because even the court. Um, felt that we would be a good independent expert to be relied on, which was quite the compliment. So they recommend you, and they, they understand your reputation in, out there. Yes, yes, they've seen our work, and and um, you know, we take pride in trying to to exemplify that 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 we're we're independent and and really just trying to help the parties resolve the matter with our expertise. Well, when you say independent, let's talk about that then. So let's talk about Form Fifty Three. So this is a, a form that's used in the courts, Ontario. Yes, and and uh, it's used in Ontario. And if we were working outside of Ontario, um, each province has a similar form. And this form, um, not sure when it when it was first implemented, but it, it was several years ago, and and um, it. it, it was an identified problem that there were a lot of experts that were, um, as you referred to earlier, uh, seen to be hired guns, and and an expert when they when they're in attendance in court as an expert are are actually working for the court, um, helping the court to to uh, um, understand the the loss or the claim that's being made so they can make a decision and and the form 53 uh, is signed by the expert when the expert prepares the report and I've got a copy of it here and and uh, the the one line says that, that I acknowledge that it is my duty as an expert to provide evidence in relation to this proceeding as follows to provide opinion evidence that is fair, objective, and nonpartisan, to provide opinion evidence that is related only to matters that are within my area of expertise, and to provide such additional assistance as the court may reasonably require to determine a matter and issue. So clearly the form is saying that, that we're assisting the court, and and uh, I th- I think that taking an independent approach is, is really the most productive approach for the court and the plaintiff and the defendant because it, it assists them to to resolve the matter, which is really what everyone wants. So is that signed on an ongoing basis per file when you attend court, or is that something that you sign on a yearly basis and it's filed with the courts, or? You know, is this something adjusters should be asking for, and they haven't in the past? Or um... it, it's something that um, if a if a if a file is being prepared for court, we have to do it, and the court expects it. So the adjuster doesn't really have to ask for it. Certainly, the adjuster should be concerned if they're involved in a litigation and the other side is providing a report that 
doesn't include a Form 53, and, and it's a litigious matter because the expert should sign the Form 53 and has an obligation to do so, and it's with every report you prepare. So adjusters should be aware that there should be a Form 53, whether it's on the plaintiff side or on the defense side. That's something yes. they should just be looking for to see. Yes, yes, and and likewise, their their uh, their defense counsel will be looking for that too, and and should be um, um, watching out for that. Excellent. Okay. All right. Well, that's that's good to know. So for all those people out there that you know are are looking or you know don't deal with litigation, this is something that you know probably isn't aware to you, and uh, but something you should be aware of if you're going to move into the litigation role at some point. You should be aware that this form fifty three exists, and it's mandated and required on all files. Right. So 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 one of the challenges that exists when you when you when you hear the articles um or or stories that are that are out there about the hired guns is that that um you know even though there may be an expert that does ninety nine percent of their work for plaintiffs or ninety nine percent of their work for 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 uh um the the defense side, um it it in court, they'll be asked, "Well, who do you work for?" And and if the answer is that I mainly work for insurance companies, or the answer is I mainly work for for um, plaintiffs' counsel and their clients, uh, right away, uh, if if you're in front of a judge, or even more so in front of a jury, uh, you run the risk of of your evidence being seen to be um, not independent and that whatever you're saying is an advocate for your for your client if you're able to answer the question that 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 um, you pursue work on both sides and 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 you provide expert reports on both plaintiff and defense side you you you'll be uh, given much more credibility you know, the words that you say the information that you have that you're providing on the stand will will be seen to be um, credible and reliable and 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 help in in the uh, resolve of the matter. So so you're not showing bias. You're just preparing it, and you prepared for both sides. Exactly. Excellent. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's talk about IRBs. I know that's a a big part of everybody's uh, claim handling these days is the income replacement benefits. So I'm sure that must. Uh, that must take up a lot of time with uh, you guys there at Davis Martindale. Yes, yeah, we do. We do a lot of income replacement benefit calculations, uh, mainly for self-employed people, and and uh, for for uh, several different insurance companies. And we also do some some income replacement benefit calculations when we're we're asked to assist by plaintiffs' counsel after someone's been in, in an accident and. Uh, no, what a, one of the interesting things that that um, um, as a, one of the new new changes that may not be new, it's been around for a few years now at least, um, is that that if you're in a motor vehicle accident, the statutory accident benefit schedule allows you to uh, obtain your own um, accounting assistance and will pay up to twenty five hundred dollars um, for those accounting reports. So we 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 do them for insurers for less than that. Um, uh, we have a flat fee arrangement, and and uh, um, you know, it takes a couple of reports before you get to the twenty five hundred dollar range. But but we've seen some uh, some 
what we would call a bit of abuse in the system where 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 there's somebody that will calculate an income replacement benefit for an employed individual issue one report and bill twenty five hundred dollars for it and and um it's unfortunate that that happens but but we've seen that out there um so you know, we we have to, we've dealt with the issue of whether these fees are reasonable or not. So when you're when you're talking about that, that's a, an actual benefit with contained within the uh, the policy itself. Yes. Uh, yes. So uh, and when that fee is that that amount of twenty five hundred dollars gone, they can't apply to have that added to just regular disbursements and fees later on, can they? No, no, not not as a benefit. They they begin to incur those costs on their own unless they can persuade an insurer to actually pay beyond the benefits available to them. Um, and and where it bothers me is is that that if you truly didn't spend twenty five hundred dollars worth of time as an accountant and 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 uh, but you bill twenty five hundred dollars for that first report because it's the limit. Um, you've really taken the opportunity away from from the the individual to fully utilize the benefit that they're entitled to, and and uh, if if the insurer disagrees with the initial report, then you have you have nothing left um, to to you have to go out of out of pocket just to just to continue to address your claim. Um, for income replacement benefits, notwithstanding, it's not fair to an insurance company to have to pay twenty five hundred dollars for something that uh, took three or four hours to do, and 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 perhaps um, ne- needed a lot more work to to be reliable. So when when we think about this, and you know, um, is there a dispute process to deal with that? Um, from the insurer standpoint as well, then, so they get a bill for twenty five hundred dollars, and it's clearly not twenty five hundred dollars worth of work. Is there a dispute process within the regime to deal with that issue, or do they simply have to pay it and move on? Um, I, I suspect it's an ongoing issue that they have to deal with on a regular basis, and they probably deal with it file by file. But I think the current the current process is called the the LAT, so they could dispute the the um invoice um uh generally generally for us we just keep plodding along doing doing our work using our approach uh trying to to build fairly and 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 ensure that just because there's a twenty five hundred dollar limit that we're not billing it we're actually just billing our usual hourly rates and 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 getting the job done what would a typical um i r b um report cost as a first off or is it really is it too hard to say is it is there a, an average you think you know is it four to six fifty or is it you know five to seven fifty? It, it, it varies if it, it depends on on the type of claim if it's a self-employed claim um, we just do a flat fee of seventeen hundred dollars um but if if it's if our time is less than that then we'd bill less than that um every every file is different but you know, uh, we, we like to give people the opportunity to. Um, uh, I find with the flat fee arrangement, it takes away the uh, wonder about how much it's going to cost. Um, I, I'd rather have our clients uh, getting reports when they need them, as opposed to worrying about the cost. Sure. So you're it's seventeen hundred or less, basically, is what you're saying. Yeah. Typically. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, and and let's talk about fisco. Are these reports that are prepared in uh, preparation for fisco? 
uh, we we've uh, done several uh, fiscal um, arbitrations over, over the years. Um, one of one of uh, no, it could be over the quantum of benefits. We also get involved in priority disputes. So so if if uh, an individual's um, well, a lot of the priority disputes um, are they either they either deal with um, a fatality um, claim. So so if somebody was dependent on another individual and and that individual um, unfortunately passes away in an accident, they may have a claim. Um, for loss of dependency under the statutory accident benefit schedule, um, those are less significant than than some big priority disputes between insurers, where where um, somebody's in an accident and they don't have their own insurance, and the issue is whether whether a somebody who they're dependent upon has coverage and must pay, or whether it's the insurer of the individual that that actually hit them in the accident, oh. and. So we we get involved assessing whether somebody was financially dependent on another person, and those tend to be arbitrated, um, um, whether it's through fiscal or, or private arbitration, quite often. And and um, there's a lot of history of case law, but they're arbitrated because uh, sometimes on, on very large claims, there's a lot of money to pay for futures and. and- yeah, and it's a dispute between one insurer and the other as to who has to pay for all of the um, all of the no fault benefits. Now, can you be brought in by Fisco as a as a third person, um, where they have a report on one side and they have a report on the other? Are you ever brought in as a third party from that to kind of meet in the middle? No. No, I think if uh, I've never been brought in to do that, um, I've been brought in to do a second opinion for one side or the other. Um, Parties may need need an, an, another opinion to be thrown in, but I've never been engaged directly by Fisco. So just basically, just to back up or strengthen yeah. their their position. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And sometimes it's beneficial to to if you've got two experts that are dueling back and forth. Um, you know, one of the challenges is is maintaining your independence and and. Um, if there's some pride going on and nobody's willing to give, um, then then it sometimes actually forces the parties to have to get another opinion to because because they they just can't get anywhere with with closing the gap and resolving the matter because um, either side is stuck. So at a stalemate, you may be brought in to <clears throat> to yes. clarify. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah, and sometimes we end up agreeing with. With sometimes we're in the middle, but other times we would we would say that you know we agree with one side or the other, and it may not even be the side that you were brought in by. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes we we have to say uh, that that um, you know the insureds or or the plaintiff's accountant um, um, seems to be grounded in some sort of loss theory that's not making sense, and that we completely agree with. With with the other side, and it, it certainly, if we're agreeing with the other side of the party who engaged us, it just helps them to to um, begin to feel comfortable that they might have more exposure than they otherwise would have had. Sometimes it's quite the opposite. We we we've we've had circumstances on on 
subrogated claims where we see that insurers pay too much money and they're trying to collect the money from from another insurer and and um, uh, another accountant says that hey, instead of three million it's two million and we we determine it should be one million um, there's many uh, I, I guess no matter how many accountants get involved, there, there's uh, always always disputes amongst um, amongst the parties that we have to help resolve, and and the numbers can be quite different. So some of these cases can have uh, quite a a large swing value, for sure. Then yes, yeah, yeah. They the no, it, it, it's an important role to quantify losses because, and and to do it on an independent basis, and to be reliable, and to be known as as you know, you if if you prepare a report quantifying a loss, um, whether it's income replacement benefits or a commercial loss, you really want the parties um, to to take notice and read what you have to say, because because you're just known to to. Provide clarity and 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 good good expert advice. Um, you know, in certain cases, uh, if 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 experts don't do that, the report is just filed away when it when it arrives, and 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 not much attention is paid to it. And and that certainly isn't isn't where and why be an expert if if people are going to do that with your report? Yeah, absolutely. This episode is brought to you by the law firm of Dance and Erect LLP, specializing in motor vehicle law, insurance law, and commercial litigation. They can be reached by their phone number at 416-929-2200 or through their website at www.drlitigators.com. Now let's get back to the show. All right, well, let's uh, let's move on because we don't have a ton of time here, but I, and I want to keep you you know take up all your time here so let's talk about tort claims um again much like rbs i'm sure they take up some um a lot of your time and um let's talk about them for all those out there do you want to tell me what you how you play a role in a tort claim sure sure um in, in tort claims quite often uh, accountants are brought in at the tail end, um, avoid the cost, try to settle the file, um, doesn't work. Sometimes we get involved in tort claims five or six years after the date of the accident. So just to clarify a tort claim, um, if I was involved in an accident and I was not at fault and and um, I didn't have collateral benefits that compensated me for, for my loss of income, then I might I might sue the individual who hit me to to recover the rest of of my um, loss of income, both in the past and and in the future if I can't work. And and um, in the, we could be engaged by by the individual um, who's making the claim, the plaintiff. Um, by plaintiff's counsel, or we could be engaged by the insurer insurer. To defend um, the claim because they've received the plaintiff's economic loss report and and um, you know they need some advice as to as to whether whether the the amount that they're claiming the loss to be in the report is reasonable or not and um, we we do a lot of work in this area and have been in been experts in in court on both sides. Okay, and again, uh, when you're acting as an expert, you're 
you're not there as an advocate, right? No, I'm I'm there to um, I'm working really for the court. I'm engaged by one party, but I'm actually working to uh, provide advice for the court. Um, and uh, but I could be provided uh, provided an assignment to act as a consultant in the background, which which I do quite quite often as well. Um, we get we have files where where counsel for one side is is just wanting our advice. So we look at the documents, we give them advice. Sometimes we give them advice um, prior to doing a, an examination for discovery to make sure they ask the right questions and understand the person's circumstances enough to ask the right questions. Sometimes uh, we're helping them them prepare to cross-examine an expert on the stand, and rather than write a report, they'd rather surprise them with the critiques, but we help them to, to um, prepare for that cross-examination. And, and um, you know, sometimes, sometimes that can be a frustrating job because you can see that, that um, the plaintiff side has put an exaggerated number and at no point is, is another number calculated. And, and uh, sometimes I wish that they would just be more reasonable from the beginning with their approach um, to, to, to quantifying the loss you wouldn't end up in court if they did that. Um, but sometimes plaintiffs get nothing. So we're talking the high and the low when you talk the about The high and so the low. The high and the yeah. low, and then, you know, for the most part, everybody meets in the middle at some point. If if the party started a million and nil um, instead of at, at 200000 and 800000 it, it might take a year and a lot of money to, um, expert money to, close the gap that was unnecessary in the first place. Yeah. And again, when, you, uh, when you're when you doing this um, work or this pre-work for the courts, do you have to fill out a Form 53, or is it only when you're actually preparing that uh, that expert report for the trial? So so when, when I am preparing an expert report that is for the trial, I have to sign a Form 53. If, if I'm acting as a consultant in the background for the plaintiff or the defense, um, I don't have to sign a Form 53. I'm not an expert on the stand in the case, and all I'm doing is, is providing um, advice to help help them. And in fact, I in that in that role, I I can be an advocate for for the position of the plaintiff or the defense. So, so can I ask you, Gary, when you're working for the plaintiff or the defense, are you given both sets of material to review? To give a yes, so you're never just given one side, or or does that happen from time to time? Um, well, on the plaintiff side, um, you know, I I always think the uh, the if I if I was working for the defense, I have a lot of experience critiquing plaintiff expert reports, and I always think the worst ones are the ones that that simply say that you have asked us to assume and the entire loss is calculated based on assumptions that that plaintiff counsel asked the accountant to make and and I think that effectively renders the port, the report to be a mathematical report and not necessarily an expert report so if I was working on the plaintiff side I would be asking counsel for all the documents and I would rather own the assumption and be willing to say I have assumed and be able to defend it on the stand because I've looked at the documents that that support the reasonableness of the assumption and it's just not pulled out of the air with no support 
Um, likewise, if I'm if I'm working on the defense side, um, there's so much information usually w within the documents, both the plaintiff and the defense side, that that actually are facts relating to the case that really help um, support the position that you're going to take on on what are, what the law should be. And there's also a lot of statistics. So, um, you know, it would be unreasonable to say that a truck driver is going to make $100,000 for the remainder of his life until age 70 when the average truck driver makes $60,000 and, and slows down in their 60s. So are, is that um, – you? do statistics play a lot of a role in here or is it are, – are you – with that kind of a – a process, or how how are you gathering all that information? Um, we, having experience doing doing the work that we do, we know what to ask for, and um, if we're not provided what what we need, then then we ask for more information. And and if 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 an individual wants to prove their claim, whether we're working on the plaintiff or the defense side, um, they need to provide documentation to support their claim. And and if they can't, it weakens their position to actually be able to claim their loss. Now, and now, what I was going to ask though is, so if for those independent people, the the truck drivers are. You know, uh, we'll just use truck drivers because that's that's probably a pretty common one. Um, is there something that you can go to, some guideline that says, you know, the average truck driver will drive, you know, uh, make X number of dollars per year, will drive so many years, um, you know, is there is there a guideline or is that based on file by file basis? We we look at everything we can. So so there's no doubt that that in the file there, if you use the truck driver example, um, they have to keep logs about how how often they're driving their trucks if they're long haul truck drivers, um, and and we can tell by their contracts what they make per hour, um, and we can determine how how much time they're spending working. Uh, there's also statistics that are available. We get a special run of data from, from uh, Statistics Canada that provides us with the average annual earnings of, of um, individuals, male, female, by education level, by vocation, by province. And, and um, it, it's very helpful in resolving these claims because just as an example of somebody who was 20 years old and still in university, they don't have a history of income and you have to start to look at other factors, uh, that, other facts that are out there, including the history of earnings of people in, in, in the country that, that will help to assess what they could make. So people that say were in university, what their profession would make when they were graduated and in their field. Yeah, yeah, and and it even goes. We've had claims for for um, individuals who are in accidents in elementary school, and you know, necessarily speculative what they were going to make in the future if they weren't in an accident. And you'd start to look at things like what do the parents do? Um, how long did they work? Um, did they go to college, university? And and there's lots of statistics out there that that support that that um, you know a child has a better chance of following in their parents' footsteps in terms of education and sometimes there's another sibling and and enough time has elapsed that you can see what the other sibling had done 
and 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 you'd be able to get an idea of what what a reasonable claim would be for them. Okay. All right. Well, that's really interesting. Um, it, it sheds a lot of light on how all that is put together. Yeah. The 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 most important thing I always say is that if you're going to investigate something and produce an expert report, um, you must ensure that you know the facts and and that you get all the information that is out there to to understand the claim because quite often i found that an expert fails because they're they they missed finding two or three key facts that are was actually in the pile of documents and that you you must base your 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 report on the facts and not based on assumptions that can't be supported okay well, let's move on to the final topic today. If um, if you've got some time here, I'd love to talk about commercial claims. Oh, sure. Yes. Um, so we, we do. Go ahead. No, I was going to say. So when we're talking commercial claims, what do you guys do on the commercial side? What uh, what services do you offer for the commercial portion? So we calculate business interruption losses, um, stock losses, thefts. Um, any, anything that could happen to a commercial business that results in in, in, in a loss. Um, the most common are certainly floods and fires. Okay. And typically a policy will have a professional fee coverage to permit this type of accounting loss for, an yes. account- for this? Yes. So, so um, you know, the most, most policy um, – Policies now, uh, especially for a mid-sized business, the insurers have these blanket coverages um, that include business interruption and and a lot of other other um, uh, coverages. And one of the coverages is professional fee coverage. And and I often find that um, that when there's a commercial loss, that that um, the claimant. Either isn't aware of the professional fee coverage, or they're just nervous to activate the fee coverage and get their own advice. So, so they're at the mercy of the insurance company's accountant to quantify the loss, and and uh, and that's fine if if the insurer's accountant is is being a good independent expert and trying to be fair and reasonable on the claim. Okay, well, let's let's talk about those um, those uh, ones now. It, when they're the insured is engaging an accountant, um, what should they be looking for so we can you know kind of guide them in the right way? Are we looking for a forensic accountant? Are we looking for um, you know without telling them where to go, but giving them the right kind of headers or direction? The um, the uh, insurance policy. Um, wording for for um, you know depending on the type of coverage you have and, and um, who your insurer is 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 different and and it, you really want to find an accountant that is experienced in dealing with with business interruption losses in a lot of cases I've seen seen um, claimants get their own accountant that does their typical financial statements uh, tax returns to also do the business interruption loss, and they don't have experience in that. And unfortunately, um, without that experience, quite often the calculations are done improperly um, because they just simply don't understand how they work. And and then you've wasted your professional fee coverage because 
you, you still need to bring in somebody that knows what they're doing. So, so what you're saying is they typically should be careful, and they shouldn't just be looking for the guy that does their their taxes at the end of the year. It's somebody that actually deals in a BI type clause. Yes, and and there's quite a few of us out there, and and um, I think we're all all pretty good at calculating business interruption losses. So I definitely uh, do a do a search on the internet for business interruption, forensic accounting, um, and and you'll probably find a number of us. And that they'd also need to understand coinsurance, right? Yes, yes, and and um, coinsurance is is something that that uh, is quite often a problem when uh, when a business has a, a claim they don't have the right coverage, and um, they the their limit of coverage that they purchased is too low, and after they have a fire, they're only in, entitled to um, maybe half of their claim, and. Um, as a result, many businesses, even though they have insurance coverage, um, are unable to survive after a, a catastrophic loss because they haven't bought enough coverage, and and then they're looking for for uh, um, you know to, they're trying to deal with why they don't have enough coverage. Is it the broker's fault? Did the broker ask for? Uh, um, ask them the right questions. Why don't they have the right coverage? Um, one of the things I do a lot of is is seminars for brokers um, to assist them to help understand their clients' businesses to ensure that when they buy them coverage, they actually have the coverage that they need and that they will survive after they have a loss. So making sure the brokers ask the right questions of their clients before they even put uh, policy in force. Yes, yes. Um, I'm going to say that where there's limits of coverage, that 50% of the time um, we see um, that that there isn't enough coverage, and and the the claimant ends up recovering uh, lesser than 100% of their loss. Well, wow. and is that is that something that's a trend? Because people are looking to like you know pay less for insurance, or they just didn't understand what they were buying. I I always I always like to say that that um, one of the challenges that business owners have is that they don't necessarily appreciate appreciate the value of their insurance. So, so until they need we, it, yeah, until they need it, it's kind of like uh, accountants too with with tax returns and financial statements. Um, you know, you, you have to do it. You don't want to do it. You just have to do it. So, um, if, if you think about that um, with respect to insurance coverage, and you don't want it, and you just have to, the natural human instinct is to try to avoid cost. Um, but you find out that it's one of the most important things a business could have because if you don't have the right coverage, and you actually have a loss, your business is done. Um, it's it's just essential. Um, to have that coverage. Now, let's. Can you give me a couple of examples of these types of claims? Well, um, I've I've had uh, um, claims where uh, I'll give you an example of in the food processing industry. We had a big um, catastrophic fire at a food processing plant, and and they had a one year indemnity period and and uh, you can go out and buy two years of indemnity period if you wish and it costs more money and and just before this fire they had reduced their period of indemnity from two years to one year 
and their their product is sold in grocery stores. Um, large um, vendors who who um, have clauses in the contract that says if you can't supply the product, then our contract is null and void. So um, you don't go into a grocery store and see an empty shelf because they're waiting for the vendor to to uh, rebuild so they can put the the product back on the shelf. They create a new contract with somebody and fill it immediately with with a new product. So even if you can get your plant fixed and repaired in nine months, it may take you um, two years before you actually have contracts in place to build your sales back up to where you were. So in this particular case, I'm, I'm certain that, that this business probably lost at least another half a million dollars that they could have recovered had they, had they bought the right coverage. Wow. Okay. And that was just from a, a financial standpoint on their part? They reduced coverage just to save you a know, few dollars? or I, I, can't say, I can't say why they made the choice, but, but typically um, um, when you're buying coverage, um, the, the more you add, the more it costs, and, sure. and that's that's the debate. How much do you get? How much is how enough? How much is it going right? to cost? Yeah, and how, and how much is really enough? I like to say that that the best claims are are short, two or three day claims, um, where where the insured gets to see how their insurance coverage works, and 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 they get to. They, they end up realizing how much they need because of that small loss. So I always, when I have those situations, make a point of, of, of ensuring that, that, um, that if they had a co-insurance penalty, that they, that, that they were lucky enough to have this small loss first to help them understand how their coverage is going to work. Okay. Well, do you have any other examples of any other claims that you've done that were, this has been an issue? Well, one one of the uh, um, stories that I have, um, it was a claim for a business that did recycling and garbage, and um, they actually decided that that um, they didn't need to insure their garbage business because it was just a bunch of trucks that go out and collect garbage, and what could happen to all their trucks? Um, they were pretty sure that that revenue stream was safe. And they didn't need to have coverage for it, but they also had a big recycling business in a in a big building that had uh, um, lots of equipment and 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 the offices for the recycling and the garbage are both there, and and uh, they reduced their coverage to only insure the recycling income. And and the accountant that the insurance company hired didn't know that, and they calculated that they had a a huge co-insurance penalty, and they were only going to recover 50% of their income loss um, relating to the recycling business. And and once I dug into the broker's records, it became very clear that that they had intended to insure the recycling business, and they ended up getting 100% of their loss. But it, but it, it was a bit of a process because we had to dig really deep into the broker's records to to verify that. And but that that's a, a good example that that if you whether you're working for the insurer or or the um, or the claimant themselves, that 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 you can't just quickly make assumptions about 
about things that you have to dig a bit and make sure you look at all the documents and, and prepare your analysis on the facts. So they were actually separated. So they separated the recycling from the garbage business, and they were typically two separate businesses kind of side by side. Yeah. Yes, and, and when this loss happened, um, you know, I always say to commercial brokers that when you sell the coverage, you, you have to think of the worst-case scenario and, and ensure that because yeah. at least then you're going to survive. And, and um, when this fire happened, all the garbage trucks were parked around the recycling plant, and I think if the, if the fire trucks had arrived 10 minutes later, um, the trucks would have been lost because they were too close to the fire anyways. Um, a few windshields had even cracked, and I think they were close to not being allowed to move the trucks because of the risk. And if you go by the plant today, all of the garbage trucks are, are now parked ar- around the exterior fence of, of the building and not, ar- not around the building, um, which... You know, they hadn't thought of their worst-case scenario, but but that that one loss experience helped them to know what to do in the future. So I'm certain they don't insure the garbage uh, business today, but but they they now know not to park all the trucks near the building. Yeah, they reduce their exposure by moving it. Yes. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. Um, so, uh, you know, when you're dealing with uh, commercial these commercial losses and uh, you've got an accountant on one side and you're on the other. Um, are you doing dispute resolution? Like, or are you going to the arbitration or is it again, just following that same process? It can be one of many ways that they get resolved. Yeah, there's really two ways. There's the appraisal process, um, which is a process that, that um, the insured can implement through their policy. Um, an umpire is, is, uh, engaged by the insurance company and the claimant to resolve the matter and and a specific event occurs called appraisal where where ultimately the umpire decides on on um, on whatever aspect of the commercial loss is in, in dispute the other alternative is is to uh, uh, make a statement of claim and 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 litigate the matter so just doing the regular statement of claim and following that and, process. Yeah. Now, yeah, I, and if they litigate the matter, then there's a Form 53 for yeah. the expert to sign. So you don't find, sign a Form 53 if you're doing the appraisal arbitration process? Um, I'd be happy to. I don't think I'm obligated to, but um, the same standard of, of independence um, should exist if you're in the appraisal process uh, um, meaning not working as an advocate for the client, but helping the umpire to, to um, understand the situation to make a good decision for the, for the, for the claim. So although it applies, or although it doesn't apply, it, it, you would do it regardless? Yes. If required. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Um, is there anything else that, you know, I haven't asked you about uh, forensic accounting that you think I should know or, and our, li- our listeners should know? Well, no, I, I, I think that, that there's a lot of good forensic accountants out there, and, and, and I think that the, the, that the most important thing is, is uh, being able to, to get that expertise to help you resolve matters um, and, and, and not to advocate your position, because all it does is build costs and lead to lengthy disputes that are unnecessary. That's 
probably my my best advice to to um, all parties, no matter what side you're on. So a little give and take, and be reasonable. Yes. Okay. And rely rely on the facts of the case, not assumptions that can't be supported. Okay. Well, thank you very much for your time today, Gary. I I really appreciate it, and I wish you and all the people at Davis Martindale and your family a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And I really appreciate your time with us this morning. Well, I appreciate having the uh, chance to talk with you, Terry, and and, uh, wish you and your family a Merry Christmas as well. All right. Well, uh, thank you very much, and uh, we'll we'll talk again soon. From everybody here at WP Radio and the AAA, I'd like to wish everybody a happy holidays and happy new year. And we look forward to having more exciting episodes on next year. And so just stay tuned, and we look forward to... uh, New listeners, take care, guys, and uh, we'll see you on the other side. Are you an insurance adjuster actively adjusting claims? If so, we want you. The OIAA is a professional organization currently consisting of 1,800 claims professionals with its main focus on education, networking, and knowledge. We promote and maintain a high standard of ethics among insurance claims professionals. We work together with government departments and officials, governing bodies, members of other organizations, insurance companies, associations and fraternities, as well as the general public in matters connected with the business of insurance and insurance claims. We recognize the value of networking for education, advocacy, advancing professional standards, and offering mutual support. We provide networking, professional development, inside industry news, and support to insurance adjusters across Ontario. By joining our network of active and associate members, you receive a direct introduction to other members, our Without Prejudice magazine delivered to your door, discounts for all social and professional development events, knowledge from mixing with seasoned, experienced adjusters and with new up-and-coming professionals, and satisfaction knowing that you are an active participant in shaping claims adjustment and risk management services in Ontario. Most compelling of all is the price. Just for $50 a year plus HST, the value far outweighs the fee. Can you afford not to join us? Please visit our website to become a member and to review our calendar of events at www.oiaa.com.